I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if your heart hasn't been stirred this morning just by the singing about the cross and that song right there, you might better check up during the invitation time. Isn't it good that we can have good spiritual music this morning? I don't know about you, but music like that, it drives me to my knees rather than drive me to my feet. I think in America today, we look at the church and we see a lot of music and a lot of things taking place that drive us to our feet and we enjoy it and there's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself at church. I hope you enjoy yourself at the house of God today. I really do. I hope there's something spiritually satisfying about being at the house of God. But I'll tell you something this morning in our country today, what we need is more godly music and spiritual music that speaks to our soul and drives us back to our knees on behalf of our country. Good to see you here this morning. I tell you, it's good to be in church today. It's just good to be here. I, look, I've been looking forward to, to this Sunday ever since last Sunday. I really have. I just enjoy being here around God's people. I enjoy being here around God's word and hearing God's music song and his praises song. And I'm looking forward to what God wants to do today in the service. And I tell you, you know, we could be in a whole lot worse places this morning than where we're at today. Being a whole, matter of fact, I was, I was reading this week a story, and uh, it may be a little off color, but I'm going to go ahead and share it with you. Is that all right? And uh, kind of get you loosened up just a little bit. It was, the story's about a lady that uh, years ago, she grew up in the swamps of Florida, down there in the middle of, of nothing and uh, kind of a poor area. And every year, one of her fondest memories was to go to a, a campground and have a, a time together as family. And uh, the campground was quite primitive, but uh, they would go there and enjoy themselves. And she went on to school and college and got a degree and became very wealthy and very affluent and moved to New York City where all of the affluent people live. And um, story goes, she got to missing out on that time of fellowship as a family that, you know, I just want to get back together down there in the woods at that campground and visit. So she decided she had the money. She would rent out the entire campground and invite all of her family to come down and, and to visit. And so before she did, she wrote a letter to the campground asking them a very important question. As a kid, she remembered that that campground uh, was very nice and it was very enjoyable. It had a beautiful lake, but they did not have indoor facilities. And we'll just put it that way and leave it there. As an affluent woman as she was, she says, you know, Brother Ren, I, she just couldn't go to a place that did not have indoor plumbing. So she wrote a letter down to Joe. Joe was the manager of the campground. And she wanted to ask Joe, did you have indoor plumbing? But she just felt weird asking the question. It was just kind of below her to ask a question, do you have toilets? And so she kept scribbling out in the letter. And she wrote, do you have toilets? And she scrubbed it out. She said, I just can't use the word toilet. And so she said, you know what? I'm just going to write, do you have commodes? And she scribbled it out. So I just can't write commodes either. And so finally she says, I'm going to write, do you have bathroom commodes? That sounds kind of a little bit more couth, you know. And she said, that just doesn't work either. So she decided, she says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to write, dear Joe, I'm interested in renting out your campground. Can you tell me for sure if you have BCs? She's put that there for bathroom commode. Well, Joe got the letter and began reading the letter and uh, was very excited about her interest in coming down to the, the place to, to rent it out and to visit, but he was not quite sure what BC stood for. He just kind of went around to the campground asking all the other campers that were there, can you tell me what BCs are? She wants to come down, but she wants to know about our BCs. And so finally he realized that BC must stand for Baptist Church. So Joe wrote her a letter back. It says something like this, dear madam. I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure of informing you that we indeed have a BC, and it is located nine miles north of the camp. 
very nice BC. It'll seat 250 at one time. I admit it's quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you'll be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago, and we just made a day of it. It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold a supper on the side of the BC. If you'll give us advance notice, I'll make sure we save you a seat. Signed, Joe. Look, we may not be a perfect church this morning. There's a whole lot worse BCs you could be at than Central Baptist Church this morning. And I'm glad that you, uh, you've uh, taken the time to join us in God's house and look forward to what God wants to do today. I want to go ahead and tell you, why don't you just relax a little bit? Why don't you relax a little bit and let God do what he wants to do today? God knew you were going to be here. You may have decided last minute to come to church. And you may have just decided at the last moment you're tired of your spouse's nagging and you're going to go and you're going to be at church today. But I want you to know God knew long before today that you would be here. And as God began to craft the message of what he wanted preached today and the thought that he wanted presented today, he did it with you in mind. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that a loving father thinks enough of us that he wants to speak to us this morning and he has crafted something that he wants to put in the mailbox of your heart if you will allow him to? So let's get our minds off this morning of getting out of here, and let's get our minds on what God wants to do for us today. And if you're visiting with us today, I hope that you'll just open your heart to receive what God would have for you. I look forward to what God wants to do in the service today. Now, last Sunday, uh, we began a series of messages. I did not plan on being a series, but the Lord uh, wanted them to be a series, and we're going to stretch it out over four Sundays, beginning last Sunday. And the series deals with a nation in need. And how this very morning we sit in a country that is in very much need of the hand of God and real revival in this country. I'm not talking this morning about this emotional event that we have that comes and goes before we ever make it back to our home. I believe God wants to send long-lasting, eternal-effecting revival amongst the hearts of his people today. And so we began reading in 1 Kings 17. If you'll turn there, we're going to pick up with the second message in this series on a nation in need this morning. A nation in need. If you want to look around, see several visitors here with us this morning. The Robinsons, good friends of ours, pastor friend uh, for many, many years. Glad to have them here with us this morning. And I do want to invite you back tonight as well. Tonight will be the last service that we have Brother Bryce with us. Brother Bryce will be headed off to college And we're going to have a send-off for him as well as the Millers. The Millers are about to embark on a journey to Colorado. Dr. Miller heard that I love to elk hunt. He has volunteered to go secure me a place to hunt in Colorado. And so tonight will be their last service with us. And we're going to take a moment to honor them in the service as as their last service here tonight. So I want to make sure you make it a point to be back here uh, tonight for that. Let's stand together if you're at 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter number 17. And we're going to jump into this as quickly as possible. But we're going to make sure we preach what God has for us today. And I know it'll be a blessing to you if you open your heart to receive what God has. Now, 1 Kings chapter 17, we read where Elijah is about to pronounce a famine upon Israel for Israel's turning their back upon God. Verse 1, the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, the Bible says, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. 
It shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So as soon as Elijah pronounced the famine, God's judgment upon this nation, God whisked him away to the brook Cherith uh, to sit there. And the Bible says that during this time, God fed him. God took care of him. Well, after three years, look at chapter 18, verse 1. The Bible says that it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all of those that have come out to your house today. Lord, thank you for what you've already given me, and I look forward to what you, what you have for me today. I pray we're already anticipating what you want to do in our hearts and lives. I pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts on behalf of our nation today. Help us be obedient. I pray the lost would be saved. I pray the saved would be challenged in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at how Elijah would go and stand one man before an entire nation, and how God would use Elijah to challenge the country who was at a very critical crossroads of their faith. The first message last week was the crossroads of faith, where Elijah says, how long halt ye between two opinions? The nation of Israel had come to the place where they had yet to decide that God was going to be their God. Last week we preached about how I believe America is at a very critical crossroads this morning. How America has got to decide whether God's going to be God or Baal and then follow him, as the Bible says in chapter number 18. Last week we looked at the alternative of Baal and how Baal worship has permeated America. Now Baal worship is a worship that you craft, what you like, what you want, when you want it, the way that you want it. We see that happening all over America in our churches today where worship is what we want and what we like and nothing more and nothing less. But this morning what I want to look at is the response that God had to Baal worship and the response that God had to his people. The Bible says in chapter 17 verse 1 that Elijah says because of their sin, being authorized by God obviously to do this, that he says there's not going to be rain or dew all of these years and God sent a sore famine for three years. I did some research this week about drought and studying how drought and famine and how devastating they can be. Sometimes we'll go through a small drought or a small famine here, you know, in our area to where there will be rain for two or three weeks. I want you to try to imagine no rain for three years. Three years. I looked up some pictures in the 1930s. In the 1930s, America went through what we know as the Dust Bowl. And how there was a great drought in the United States of America and where uh, there was no rain for these long expanses of time and how American crops began to dry up. Over 50 million acres would dry up and become crusted over. Begin to read at the results and the effects of a famine. There's what is known as the dominoes of drought. All of a sudden what begins to happen and during the Dust Bowl it affected 80% of the United States of America. 80% of our country went through times where it was lean and there was no water, there was no rain, there was not much dew. The crops began to die, and as the crops began to die, the plants withered away, obviously, and there was no roots to hold down all of the soil. As the wind would begin to blow, there was great dust clouds that would sweep over the country. One dust cloud would sweep over 1,500 miles across the United States of America. We have some pictures here this morning from the Dust Bowl of the 1930s of how the country was just desolate and decimated by a drought. Listen, we're not talking about a two, three-week period of no rain. We're talking about three years, the Bible says, Israel went through this. 
As a result of the drought that America went through, people began to flee the cities that they lived in. They began to abandon their homes. You see vehicles and farm equipment just abandoned there on the farms because they had to find water. Businesses went under. The Great Depression was in full effect, and people began to, to clamor to find cities that had water. They would go to California and cities that were already overtaxed by overpopulation quickly became really taxed and strained. The resources became few. Sanitary conditions went down the window. And then violence began to erupt all because of famine, all because of drought and no water. And yet now we see Israel going through three years. Three years. Try to imagine this morning how bad the situation was for a country to go through a famine for this long. But there's something I want you to see. Boy, I'm going to tell you, it blessed my heart this week. The Bible says in chapter 18, verse 1, in the midst of this famine, three years in, when the suffering was great and the heartache was tremendous, the Bible says it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came. I'm going to tell you, I had to stop right there just a moment and have a little bit of a spell this week. Whereas we looked and we read about this country who was going through a famine and a drought and how desperate the situation was and how dire the need was for this nation. And yet in the midst of all of that, in the midst of a self-inflicted famine, an almighty and a loving God spoke up. I want to tell you this morning, I believe you can see America in verse number one. It's been many days. I believe America is going through a drought and a famine today, and it's a, it's a dire situation. Our country's in a dire need this morning. But I want you to know, my heart was blessed this week to read and realize that we're serving a God today who still calls out in the midst of our drought. I don't know about you, but I've gone through a few droughts in my life. If you're going through a time of, of dryness, a time of spiritual famine, a time where it just seemed tough, a time to where it seemed that you just craved and prayed for the rain of God to fall on your life. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes. I couldn't help but think about Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And read about that. The Bible says that the earth was without form. It was void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But I love verse number 3 of Genesis chapter 1. Verse 3 says that God spoke into that darkness. And God said... I believe this morning that we still serve a God who calls out in the midst of the drought. I believe we still serve a God this morning who still can speak into the darkness. And I believe this morning is as dire as the situation as America is in. As much of a drought as that we are in this morning, as much of a famine as that we are in this morning, I still believe we serve a God that has the capacity to send the rain. I still believe this morning that we serve a God who can speak into the darkness that we're going through this morning. And I believe with all of my heart, I had to come to a place at the office this week to decide whether or not I really believe that God could send revival to America. I think every one of us need to get there. Decide whether or not you believe that God can change this country again. Do we serve a God or not that can speak to the drought, who can call out to the darkness? Do we serve a God who's willing to intervene in the lives of his people? I believe we do. Now, I believe God's ready to get involved in America. I believe that. Do not come up to me after the service and give me your pessimistic views of how you believe we're too far from revival. I don't want to hear it. All right? Go tell some of those, those other grouches about that. I don't want to hear it. Call me an optimist. I'd rather be an optimist than a pessimist any day. I think Christians ought to be optimists. We've got the best thing in the world to look forward to. It's called heaven. 
Now understand this morning, listen to me, listen to me. I believe God wants to work in this country. I really do. I believe God wants to work in this city. I really do. I believe God wants to work through this church. But notice, oh, I'm going to tell you, every once in a while I have to vent off enthusiasm. You ever have to do that? If you don't vent it off in private, you're going to scare people in public. You do, you know? But Jim scares me all the time. I'm picking, Brother Jim, I love you. I sent my wife a text this week of something that I noticed in verse number one and verse number two. So here they are in a drought, and God wants to respond. God wants to respond. I believe God's in heaven this morning, and I believe he wants to respond to our nation in need. I believe that. I believe that God has the power, and God has the desire to send the revival. I believe God wants to send the rain again. So why don't God just send rain? Why don't God just send revival? Here's what I want you to notice. God did not call down rain. Listen close. God called up a man. He could have called a monsoon. He could have told the angel, I don't know if it works this way, but my brain kind of pictures this, so bear with me. The angel that works the water faucet in heaven says, hey, turn it back on. God could have done that so easy. Make it rain. Send them what they need, but instead of God calling down rain, God called up a man. So when God got ready to get involved, stick with me this morning, he chose an instrument of involvement. God chose an instrument to be involved in, and one man would change the course of a nation. Why? Listen close. Because God's call became his command. God's call upon his life became his command, and this man would reach out and he would turn the course of a nation. Now, the America this morning has been suffering in a drought, but I believe God wants to send revival, but here's what you need to understand before we get into the message. Notice verse number two, the Bible says, or verse number one, he says, go. Show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. This is what I want you to remember today. God called upon man to call down the rain. God called upon his representative to call down the rain. And I believe this morning that before America has any type of revival... I believe God wants to respond. I believe God wants to send the rain to the famine that we're going through in his country. But God is looking for some representatives to call down the rain. And I believe if we're going to see revival in America, God's call is going to have to become our command. And that's the message this morning. God's call in our command. Look at verse 1 real quickly. And it came to pass after many days... After many days, I believe that's how long it's been in America, many days since we've heard from God, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, it's important to notice this morning the important role that you, as a child of God, play in God sending the rain upon this country. Understand this morning, we cannot be spectators in this matter of revival. Understand, in order to have what God desires to send to this country, he desires to send it through his representatives, which, by the way, if you're saved, is you. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, we're ambassadors. We are official representatives of Almighty God. This week, I remember years ago, I used to come here to hear Carl Hatch preach as a kid. So this week, I snuck over here when nobody else was here. I put my phone, I had Carl Hatch preaching, and I, I put my phone right there on the corner of the pulpit. I just went over and sat down and had church all by myself. I even took up an offering, and it was pretty good. But, man, I listened to Carl Hatch preach, 
Man, he, boy, how God stirred my heart listening to him, how God used that man to turn thousands, maybe millions of people to Christ. I believe God wants to use all of us this week to help turn this country back to Christ. But understand, God's going to use one of us. God's going to use all of us. But God's not going to use the ones who don't want to be used. Number one this morning, here's what I want you to see. God's calling is contingent. Look at verse one. Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain. Notice that. The calling of God, you see it in the word go. God called Elijah. He says, I want you to go. And notice the reaction to that. Go, and I will send rain upon the earth. Folks, we've got to understand this morning that what God desires to do at this place, at this time in our country, hinges a lot upon the people that he's called to do it. Sometimes we sit back and I think that we think that God's just going to do what God wants to do and we don't have to have a part in that. It reminded me of a song that I heard years ago. Some of you may have been alive back then. Doris Day sang a song called, Que Sera, Sera. Look, I'm from South Mississippi. I didn't understand what that meant. I had to Google it again. So I go and I Google this song, Que Sera, Sera. And here's what it means. Matter of fact, I think I printed off the word. Yes, I do. She said this. When I was a little girl, I asked my mother what I will be. Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. I believe a lot of Christians this morning live by that kind of a lifestyle. That we believe that what's going to be is what's going to be and we have no influence on it. But notice that God says, you go and I'll send the rain. Understand this morning that what God is calling us to do as people of God. Listen, God's calling has contingencies in it. And what God wants to do can be hindered by his people not being willing to answer the call. It's interesting when you look at verse 1, the Bible says this. Watch watch the wording of this. Verse 1, chapter 17. The Bible says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years. Notice the next few words. They're very important. But according to my word. Elijah says there's going to be no rain, there's going to be no dew, but according to my word. You see, it all hinged on Elijah's willingness to be obedient to the call of God on his life. Jot this down in the back of your mind this morning. The outcome of God's work is is contingent upon our obedience to his will. The outcome of God's work is contingent upon our obedience to God's will. God called Elijah. He says, I want you to go, and after you go, I will send the rain. And I believe this morning the reason America is not seeing rain is because God's people aren't going. He says, go, and I will send the rain. The problem is we want the consequence, but we don't want to answer the calling. We want God to send revival, and we want God to send the rain, and we want God to work mightily, but we don't want to answer the call. It's kind of like the great revival verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14. We often quote, turn there with me if you will. It's not very far away. I want you to see something. 2 Chronicles 7.14, the very last part of the verse, we see what God wants to do. Now for the sake of time, let's just skip all the way down to the bottom of verse 14. The Bible says that God will heal our land. I don't know if you know this this morning, but America is in bad shape. And what America needs this morning is the healing hand of God and the healing that only God can give. Look, you will not legislate what America needs this morning. There's no way this morning we could come up with kind of a socially active program to fix the problem we face. What America needs is the healing hand of God upon this country. 
And so we're praying for the last part of verse 14. But you need to understand the context of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Look up to verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. Watch verse 13. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, what is God saying? If you ever get in a tough spot, well, there's no rain, and the locusts have come, and there's famine. The Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, understand this this morning. The consequence is God healing our land. The consequence is God sending the rain. But notice what the calling is in verse 14. God says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. We want the consequence of God's hand and God's healing, but we will not answer the call to humility. He says, I want you to humble yourself. Verse 14, the Bible says, and pray. God's calling us to prayer. And seek my face. God's calling us to seek him. Watch the last one. And turn from their wicked ways. God's calling us to repentance. God says, look, if you get to a place where the rain's not falling, I believe we're there. Spiritually, the rain has not fallen in a long time. Revivals are something that have been relegated to the history of America. We haven't seen the hand of God move mightily in this country like they did in days gone by. It's been many days since the rain has fallen in this country. God says in 2 Chronicles 7, if you ever get to a place to where the rain has quit falling and the locusts are devouring, I'm going to tell you, the locusts are devouring this country. We're losing what we used to have. God says, I'll help you out here. I'll heal your land, but you've got to answer the call of repentance. I believe this morning we do not see the consequence because we are not answering the call. Verse 15 says, now mine eyes shall be open. And mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. What is God saying? I'm listening. God says, I'm looking. And God says, I'm listening. Listen, if we want revival in America, can I tell you how it's going to happen? Revival in America is going to happen when God's people answer the call to humility and prayer and answer the call to seek God's face. And we answer the call of repentance. We answer the call. We'll find the consequence of the rain. But our problem is this morning we're not answering the call. How often do we sit in these chairs? How often does God stir our heart? How often do we come to a church and we sit in the church and God tugs our heart and God's calling, but we don't answer the call for what God has desired that we do in obedience to his word that day. The truth is simply this. We would rather complain than answer the call. We would rather complain. We'd rather go on Facebook and post it. Oh, my soul. We can post, can't we? Go on Facebook, man, and we post it up. America's going downhill. America's going to hell in a handbasket. All of these things, that's fun to complain about. But if we want to do something about it, why don't we answer the call of God to humility and prayer and seek the face of God and answer the call of God to repentance? He tells us this is how, that he's going to be, what he's going to be listening for. My eyes are open. My ears are listening. And I'm just waiting for you to answer the call is what he's telling us. This week I was in the office and a little light on top of my phone blinks. And uh, I'm still kind of new here, and so I don't know what all the blinking lights mean. I counted the other day, there are 48 buttons on my phone. 48? You know, that'll mess with a country boy's mind. 
When you put 48 buttons on a phone, I think there really is. I think Brother Brent's got a camera somewhere up there, and he's watching me, and they love turning the different lights on, and they're blinking, and me trying to... It's like one of those games when you were a kid trying to touch the button that lights up, and they just all one at a time take times picking on me, trying to figure out what button means what. Well, this one button, I didn't know what it meant. It's kind of blinking the whole time. It's getting on my nerves. Just a little bitty tiny button. It's like the button, the light on your VCR. You know that? Or DVD player, I'm sorry. Born in the 80s, you know. There's that light on your DVD player. It's just kind of blinking at night and you're laying in bed. And it's just blinking and it bugs the fire to you. This little red light, it's just blinking. It's bugging the fire out of me. So finally, I picked it up and I realized that that button was meaning I had a message. Go figure that. And so I touched the button and I'm listening on the phone and it says, Welcome to United Healthcare. I will thank you. <laughs> it's just nice people being polite. Welcome you to their company. And it says, Welcome to United Healthcare. We're glad to have you as part of our country. And I'm like, and I just hung it up. But the light just kept blinking. A few minutes later, I picked it up, hit the button again. Hello, welcome to United Healthcare. We're so glad to have you as part of our company. Look forward to serving you. I'm like, okay, thank you. And I just hung it up. A couple of days passed by, and I'm sitting there in the office, and it's still just blinking. Like something's got to happen soon. Duct tape, spray paint, something's about to happen to that little light. You come in my office and you see the, you see the phone's got this big black spray paint on the, you know what happened. And uh, finally, I, I told my wife, figure that out, please, okay? Can you just figure that out? I am a busy man. I need you to figure that out, okay? So my wife went in there. She says, they're waiting for you to activate your coverage, and the reason that light was blinking is because you've yet to, to, to activate your coverage. She says, all you have to do is answer the questions, one, two, four, seven, you know, all of that. And, and after you respond to them, it'll quit blinking. Boy, I was sitting there this week thinking to myself, so many things in this country, these little blinking lights that aggravate the fire out of us. Boy, I just wish our country would get right with God and these people would quit doing that and these people would quit doing that. And it just aggravates the fire out of us. But can I tell you why so many of these things are the way they are in our country? It's because we've yet to answer the call of God. The phone's blinking this morning. God says, look, I'm just waiting for you to respond. And when you respond, you'll be amazed at how much of those aggravations automatically go away. Notice the call of God is contingent. He says, go and I will send rain upon the earth. I believe this morning God wants to send the rain. I really do. I really do. I really had to come to the place this week to, to decide, do I honestly believe that God will send a revival to America? And I come to the conclusion that he's capable of it and he desires to do it. Listen, I don't believe we're in that junk minutes this afternoon. I don't believe we're in the place this afternoon to where God says, just bide your time. I'll be back shortly. I believe we're on the last lap of this thing. And God has given us the privilege to be the anchor leg of this great relay of the faith. And God says, if my people will just answer my call this morning, I'll be glad to send the rain. Couldn't help but think about Joshua chapter 3. It's amazing what you'll find in the Word of God. If you just read it every once in a while, boy, you see these common denominators of how God begins to work. Joshua chapter 3, the Bible says that Joshua is just newly minted leader of the army of God, and Joshua's leading them to Jordan. The Bible says that they got to the swollen river of Jordan. Now, normally it's about 100 feet wide. But in the rainy season, the Jordan River would span over one mile wide. That's, that's a pretty big piece to kind of cross with several million people. The Bible says when they got there, the Lord told them how they would get across. Well, they're in a bind. They can't cross. It's too swift. They will die. So the Lord tells them, here's what I want you to do. I want the priests that bear the ark of God to walk down into the water. The Bible says that when the water reaches the ankles of the priest, that water starts lapping up on their leg just a little bit. 
God says, I'll open it up and they'll go across on dry land. But here's what you got to see, the contingency in all of it. God says, I want to work and I'm going to do something great and you're going to see me do something that's going to blow your mind. But first, you've got to get your feet wet. I want you to wait out there in the water just a little bit. Don't just sit over here on the shore and beg God to do something. I want you to step out there in the water a little bit. And I believe the problem in America this morning, listen, it's not the Muslims, it's not the politicians, it's God's people are scared to get their feet wet. We're not willing to wait out in the water just a little bit to trust God to do what only God could do. Now look, I can't part the ocean. I can't part the Jordan, but I can wade out ankle deep. And this morning I wonder what God would be willing to do if we would just do what God's called us to do. And I'll tell you this, listen close, I'm going to hurry, but listen close this morning. Every person in this room, your eternity, my eternity, will reflect the consequences of what we did with the call of God. Every person in this room, I don't care if I know you or not, your eternity will reflect the consequences of what you did and what I did with the call of God. So what do you mean? Well, there's folks, unfortunately, this morning will spend eternity in hell. Can I tell you how they got there? Not because God was picking on them, not because God didn't love them, not because Christ didn't die for them. It's because there was a place and a time in their life that God called to them. God called to them, and God spoke to their heart, and God tugged at their heart, and they said no, and they will spend the rest of eternity suffering the consequences for what they did with the calling of God. There will be Christians this morning who are saved, The Bible says they're saved as by fire. You get saved, but that was about it. You didn't do much after you got saved. The Bible says, yes, you're going to heaven. Nothing can take that away. Your name's written down. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. But understand this. When it comes time for the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards begin to be passed out, you'll have nothing if you didn't take the time to answer the call of God while you were here. Can I ask you this morning, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know what they used to call it back in the old days? Like 1970s? I was one in the 80s. I squeaked into the 80s by four days. I was not subjected to that style. Amen. That was pretty rough. Whoever was in charge of style in the 70s, oof, man, oof, that was rough back then. But I was... (coughs) Excuse me. I was thinking this morning, i got to hurry. I can't tell you that story. Let's just hurry up real quick. Verse number one, I mean, point number one, the call of God is contingent. The call of God is contingent. But the second thing I want you to see, look at verse one again. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show thyself unto Ahab. It says, go show thyself. So let me ask you a question. Why wouldn't someone answer the call? For what God's calling you to do today. Why wouldn't someone want to be saved? I mean, why wouldn't someone want to go to heaven? Why wouldn't someone want to have God as their father? Why wouldn't someone want that? Why would someone not answer the call to be saved today? Why wouldn't a Christian answer the call of God to serve? Why wouldn't a Christian answer the call of God to be faithful? Why wouldn't we do that? So I begin looking at verse number one. I think we'll see the answer that's here. The next truth is something we really need to understand. The one word calling that God gave in verse 1 of chapter 18 was the word go. It was go. God said, Elijah, I just want you to go. You know what I want you to do? I just want you to go. But here's what's interesting. When you look at the definition of the word go, it's quite interesting. 
A lot of times we use the word go, I've got to go to the store, and I've got to go to the ball game, and I've got to go to wherever you're going to, but the word go is an interesting definition. I believe I have a picture of it for you up there. The word go means this, to move from one place to another. To move from one place to another. You know what I believe this morning? I believe the conflict of our calling is not always what we're called to. I believe it's what we're called from. Remember, go doesn't just mean to go to. Go also means go from. I believe this morning that there's number two, God's calling has a conflict. God calls us and we know what God wants us to do. Before the service is over, in spite of how good or bad the preaching may be, God's going to let you know what he wants you to do. And we know what God's calling us to. Why would we want what God's calling us to? It may not be what he's calling us to. It may be what he's calling us from that's holding us up today. So let's notice what God was calling Elijah from. Chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah pronounces the drought. And then notice what verse 3 says. Get thee hence and turn thee eastward. Get thee hence and turn thee eastward. It's very important to see what God's about to do. And hide thyself. And hide thyself. Israel's been going through a famine for three years. Israel's been suffering for three years. Israel's been going through this drought and death and dust storms and all of these things for three years. But while Israel's been going through this, notice where Elijah's been. Verse 3, the Bible says that he has been in a wonderful hiding place. A place where God provided him. The Bible tells us that he brought a raven with bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. You know, Uber Eats think they got this whole thing uh, claimed. It's a new thing. It's not new. Hey, God started all of that. God started that door-to-door delivery service. You think when that guy comes from a waiter and he brings you something to your house, that's new. No, God started. God needs to get some commission off of this, and they could send it to Central Baptist Church if they like to send a commission on, uh, on God's idea. He's, he's been in a wonderful hiding place of providence. He's also been in a wonderful hiding place of peace. He's also been in a wonderful hiding place of protection. God has taken care of Elijah through this trial and through this famine. But here's what you need to see in chapter 18, verse 1. We know what God's calling him to, but now God, please get this. God was calling him from his hiding place. God says you've enjoyed the providence. God says you've enjoyed the peace. God says you've enjoyed the protection. God says I've kept my hand upon you, but now it's time for you to come out of hiding on behalf of this nation. I believe this morning when you look at the American church, oh, how God has blessed us. The American church has been provided for by Almighty God in ways I don't know if any other country or church in the history of the church has been provided for like that. God has provided the blessings of what we need. We send missionaries all over around the world. Oh, how God's blessed us. And God's provided for us. And how God's protected us. You know, this morning there are Christians being executed in Egypt just for going to church. You know, this morning there are Christians in Afghanistan and Iraq who have to worship God hiding out because of the Muslim governments that they live in. And yet in America, we get to come and freely worship God. I believe America has spent many, many years by the brook Cherith. We've been protected, we've been provided for, and we've had peace. But what you to notice is when we get to chapter 18, the famine has worsened. The condition of that world at that time began to deteriorate. 
And now it's time for Elijah to come out of his hiding place. I believe this is what America is being called to do, the church in America is being called to do today. I believe we've been provided for, we've had peace, we've had protection, but now on behalf of a nation in need, God's calling us out of our hiding place. You see, sometimes we look at what God's calling us to and God's calling us to go out and to stand against the forces of evil and to take a public stand against uh, for righteousness and holiness in the world and we know what we're called to, but it's what we're being called from that scares us. I don't want to have to leave the peace of my, my sanctuary. I don't want to have to leave the, the providential place that we're at. I don't want to have to go to that because I'm going to have to come from that. But in order for Elijah to save and to help this nation, he was going to have to come out of his hiding place. Whether the world realizes or not, you know, the world kind of hates the church, the real one. They hate the church. They don't like us. But really what the world doesn't understand is we are what they are looking for. They're looking for the answer to the famine. It's us. It's us. They look to Washington. We look to other countries to try to glean from them. But the truth of the matter is that the whole famine would come down to God's representative answering his call. I believe that's where America's at today. I read a story this week about a little boy. Mom and dad were kind of busy, so the uh, phone rang. The little boy picked up his phone. It was a telemarketer. I think it's the greatest thing in the world when a telemarketer calls to let your child answer. It's just so fun. Let them talk to him for about an hour, or you can witness to him, one or the other, but uh, I don't want to talk to those people. The little boy answered the phone. The lady says, hi, who is speaking? He says, this is Jimmy. She says, Jimmy, is mom and dad home? He goes, no, they're busy. A few minutes later, she says, well, Jimmy, are there any other adults in the house? Jimmy says, yes, there's a police. She says, Jimmy, can I talk to the police? He goes, no. She says, Jimmy, are there any other adults in the house? Jimmy says, yes. She says, well, who is it? He said, it's the fireman. She says, Jimmy, can I talk to the fireman? He says, no. Can't talk to the fireman. He says, Jimmy, are there any other adults in the house? He says, no, they're all, he says, they're all busy. He says, Jimmy, what are, what are all the adults in your house doing? He says, they're looking for me. <laughs> Old Jimmy had made his way and hid underneath the bathroom counter, and mom and dad thought he was missing, and everybody and his brother was looking for Jimmy. I believe this morning that everybody in this world is looking for Jimmy, but Jimmy's the church. We are the people that can influence the famine. We're the only people that can influence the famine. Those guys up there in Washington, I appreciate the ones that are trying to do right, but I want you to understand there's no bill and no law that they will ever pass that will influence this famine. Understand that we can't elect God as our God. It begins in the hearts and the homes of God's people. This morning, you and I, listen, if you're saved this morning as part of the church of the living God, listen to me, we are the Elijahs of our day. God is calling us out of our hiding place. And listen, there's a conflict with us. This is why we don't flood the altars of God and just be obedient to what God calls to do. This is why in just a few minutes, and I put emphasis on the few, just a few minutes that piano will begin playing and God will begin to tug your heart about something. And all of a sudden there's going to be this conflict because what, not what God's calling us to, what God's calling us from, we're happy where we're at. We're happy in our hiding place. We see this in the life of Moses Moses had killed the Egyptian and fled to Midian. Now God's calling Moses to go back to Egypt. Can I tell you this morning, in order for God to call you to what he wants you to call you to, he may have to call you from your comfort zone. 
Moses had gotten comfortable in Midian. Nobody wanted to kill him there. Everybody wanted to kill him back in Egypt. He says, hey, this is a comfortable place here. Nobody wants to kill me here. It's always nice when you can go somewhere where somebody don't want to kill you. Amen? Some of you folks are like, what? Yeah. You take a stand for God every once in a while, somebody's going to take a shot at you, okay? No, I'm thinking, I haven't been shot at since I've been here. But Moses, Moses is in Midian. And God says, I want you to go to Egypt. Now, what is the definition of the word go? To be called from one place and to another. He knew where he was supposed to go to. It was where he was from that man kind of holds on to you a little bit. I don't know if I want to be called away from my comfort zone. You see, in the life of Gideon, the Bible says when we find Gideon, Gideon is threshing wheat at a wine press. Now, it's very important to understand, you don't thresh wheat at a wine press. Why was he threshing wheat at a wine press? Well, the Bible's very clear. The Bible tells us he was hiding. He was hiding. He found a place where he could process his, his grain and thresh his wheat, and that the enemy that he was inhabiting the area would not find him. But now God calls him to go and deliver his people. So what did Gideon have to do? Gideon had to be called from what he had learned to live with. He had learned to live with the enemy. Gideon had to realize that in order to serve God, he could not be one of those undercover Christians, which we have a lot of today. An undercover I'm going to tell you, we got a lot of Christians this morning, they're like Gideon. They're kind, of, they're kind of just living in the shadows, kind of hiding out a little bit. Got a lot of, look, I appreciate undercover policemen. I appreciate all the work, and we got a ton of them in here this morning, so don't you dare try to kill me after the service, okay? I know I haven't been shot at yet. I don't want to more than be the first time. I appreciate undercover policemen. Man, I have a problem with undercover Christians. I have a big problem with that. I believe we've got a lot of those today in the world that we live in today. And God's calling us and says, look, if you're going to make a difference in the world, in the country, in the nation that you're living in, you're going to have to come out of the shadows from where you're hiding. The other day, my daughter wanted a grilled cheese, her favorite food in the world. You can tell I raised a high-class kid, you know. She just loves a good grilled cheese. And she has a rating system where she rates them. Do not put a tomato on a grilled cheese or my daughter will write you, uh, stripe a name through your name in a book. But uh, she wanted a grilled cheese and we didn't have any cheese. I said, I'm going to go to Walmart. It's kind of late in the afternoon, and I didn't feel like putting a suit on. I don't know if you know this. I don't wear a suit all the time. I don't sleep in this. I don't go deer hunting in this. But, you know, I enjoy wearing one when I, when I need to, but I, every once in a while, it's nice to take the tie off. I looked at myself, and, man, I was in cargo pants and a Superman T-shirt. Amen, Brother Richard? Superman T-shirt. It's the only time I get to be Superman, you know? Put on a T-shirt and I'm looking, I'm wearing tennis shoes, cargo pants, a t-shirt. I said, I can't go out of town like this. I'm the pastor of Central Baptist Church, you know? So I put a hat on and sunglasses. <laughs> I'm not joking. Some of you think I'm joking. So I go to Walmart and I come walking through there and I've got my cheese and my bread and all this stuff. You got to get Texas toast. You got to get Texas toast. You can't get that old sunbeam stuff. You got to get Texas toast. And I'm walking through there and look up and of course, see one of our church members. I'm just thankful they weren't on the liquor aisle, to be honest with you. They weren't. And I look up, and I see them, and I recognize them, but they don't recognize me. And I go, hi, and they just keep on walking. I was like, they didn't know it was me. I was undercover. I was a preacher undercover. They couldn't tell who I was. It was kind of nice. I told my wife, I got to go to town in cargo pants and tennis shoes, Superman t-shirt. But I'm afraid this morning there's too many of us who are living an undercover Christian life. And God says, look, I want to help this nation. Your nation is in need. Your nation is going through a drought. Your nation is going through a famine. But look, I want to use you to help reach the nation. But you've got to come from where you are to go to where I'm calling you to be. 
Go show thyself, the Bible says. I'm going to hurry. I believe the great conflict we have with the will of God is not where God's calling us to. It's what God's calling us from. There's something this morning we're holding on to, and we'd rather stay by the brook Cherith than come help a nation that is in need. Oh, by the way, I'll give you this real quick. Look at verse 10 of chapter 18. Just in case you were wondering, the coast was not clear yet. The Lord thy God liveth there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. Old Ahab and Jezebel been looking for Elijah. It was not very convenient for Elijah to come out. You know, a lot of times we put a lot of stock on convenience. It's just not convenient to witness to somebody right now. It's not convenient to live out my faith right now. It's just not convenient to answer the call of God right now. Can I tell you, I don't know that the coast is going to get clear. I don't know it's going to come to a place in America where it's all right and accepted for you to be a child of God and to stand on this book. You're just going to have to come out of hiding anyway. Or else our nation is doomed. Second thing I want you to ask yourself this morning is what is conflicting you? What is conflicting you? What is holding you back? The last thing, and I'll hurry for the sake of time. If you look down at verse 1, go show thyself unto Ahab. And I, the Bible says, and I will send rain upon the earth. Look at verse 2. Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab. There was a sore famine in Samaria. Verse number two, you really see what he was going to have to do. Not only did God call him from his hiding place, but God called him to notice verse one and two. It used the word, go show thyself. Go show thyself. He says, not only do I, am I calling you from your hiding place, but I want you to go and stand toe-to-toe with the king that's been trying to kill you. I don't know about you, but my heart would probably sink when we get to that place. What a horrific thought that I've got to go confront the man that wants to take my life. The last thing that I want you to see this morning is God's calling must, listen close, it must confront. God's calling, what God's calling us to do is to confront the problem that our country is facing right now. God says, you can no longer stay in your hiding place. I've provided for you. I've protected you. I've given you peace. But it's time to come out of your hiding place, answer the call, and go confront the problem. This is what he's telling Elijah to do. We know the quote very well by Edmund Burke. He says this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing, all that is required for evil to triumph in this country and for the drought to continue, and for this country to die, is for good men to do nothing. What God was calling Elijah to do is to go face the famine. God says, go face the famine, Elijah. Come out of hiding, go face the famine. That's what I'm calling you to do. I believe this morning what God's calling us to do is go confront the famine. God says there's a problem in this country. God says your country is a nation that is in need. Your country's going through a drought. Your, time, your country's going through a time of famine, and I want to send rain, but I'm calling you to go confront the problem. Called my brother this morning, uh, asked him a quick question. He works in aviation, very high up and all of that. And um, there are these men who go out uh, west when there's wildfires. My brother works with a lot of those planes. When there's a wildfire raging, the, these men get in this plane, they go up in this plane, and they go ahead of the fire. And those men jump out of the plane with a parachute on and parachute into the area that the fire is working toward. And they begin to cut down trees and move away brush and cut away fire lanes. Here's what they're doing. They're called fire jumpers or smoke jumpers. Those men go ahead of the flame and they get in front of it. 
rather than try to fight the fire from behind the fire, they get in front of the fire to stop the fire from spreading. Can I tell you what they're doing? They're confronting the fire. I believe this morning, look, America's on fire. And it's spreading across this country. It's spreading across our homes. It's spreading across our churches. And the only answer is for some people of God to answer the call of God to go get in front of the problem and to confront it. Now, folks, understand this this morning. If we don't get in front of it, we're going to spend the rest of the time we have left in this country trying to clean up from behind it. I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do when a wildfire moves through. Look at the bodies that are left. Look at the shells of the homes that are left. But, oh, there's hope if we can just get in front of it. But some people are going to have to come out of their hiding place to go and to show thyself to confront the problem that is there. Now, something interesting I want to show you. By the way, I told our folks last Sunday night, I usually give them time back on Sunday night, okay? So you got to come back tonight to get the time back that I take from you extra this morning, okay? So you got to come back tonight to find that. I want you to see something quite startling in chapter 17. So in chapter 17, God calls Elijah to go to the brook Cherith. He's camping out there. The ravens are feeding him there. I'm not talking about a resort, you know, but God took care of him there. The Bible says they brought him bread and flesh, verse 5, verse 6. But watch verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. This is, this is very important. The famine finally reached Elijah. The effects of the famine finally reached Elijah. Here he's been camped out and he's been taken care of for some time now. But finally the effects of the famine reached where he was. Now can I tell you what the temptation is? Everything's good in my life. I have what I need. I'm comfortable. My family's intact. My children are obedient. My, my husband and wife, we have, a, we have a good relationship together. I don't have to worry about that because that ain't my problem. But I want you to know and understand this this morning. You better face the famine before the famine finds you. Because sooner or later, this thing is going to keep spreading. And the effects of sin and the effects of the rebellion of this country will sooner or later reach out and touch your home. If you're not careful this morning, if you don't face the famine, the famine is going to find you. This is why God told Noah, Noah, you better build an ark because it's going to rain. You know, when that first raindrop fell, it was kind of late for Noah to start building. Can I tell you what God was telling Noah? Noah, you better get ahead of the rain. Noah, you better get ahead of the rain. The rain's coming, and the only way that you can, as Hebrews 11 says, save your house is to get in front of this thing. Now understand this morning, folks, I believe the calling of God and God's calling upon us as Christians in this church this morning, it must confront. Now, we can decide this morning we're going to stick our heads in the sand and hope for the best. We're going to stick our head in the sand and just bank on the fact that we have a full bank account and that our family's taken care of, but understand sooner or later the famine will reach you and reach your home and reach the hearts of your children. And you'll wish to God in that day that you had taken the heed of the Holy Spirit of God in that service in August of 2019 and answered the call of God to confront the famine that we're facing in this country. I read an article this week. I'll give you this and I'm done. I printed it out. Don Shula, you know very well, the coach of the Miami Dolphins, was talking to a reporter and the reporter asked him this, why he jumped on this player so hard. 
player dropped a pass or something, and he immediately went to him, and he says, look, you got to do better about that. And the, and the reporter asked him, why did you go challenge him on that? Here's what he says. We can't let an error go unchallenged. Uncorrected errors multiply. Begin to ask him why he stayed on his team so hard. He says, here's the problem. He says, what is a small flaw? I think about that all day long. What is a small flaw? I see that with my children. I've let a lot of things slide because I was too tired. We've all been there. I didn't want to have another confrontation. But uncorrected errors do multiply. You've got to face them someday. You might as well face them on the spot. Folks, I believe this morning we've ignored the error in our country for way too long. And the error is only multiplied. I believe God's calling us today. God's calling us. I believe God is sitting up there in heaven. He's looking down at a nation that's in need and going through famine and a nation that's going through a drought. But oh, God wants to call out to us in the drought. He says, I want to send the rain. And God wants to only send the rain, but if you'll keep reading, God sent fire down to this nation. But his people had to be willing to answer the call. So here's my question. What is God calling you to today? What is God calling you to today? Number one, is God calling you to be saved? Are you saved? Do you know for sure that if you died right now that you're going to heaven? Look, if he's calling to you, answer the call. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's calling. He wants to save you, and you'll spend all eternity experiencing the consequences of answering the call today. Maybe you're saved this morning. You're not serving like you should. Maybe this morning you've been saved, but you've not been baptized. Maybe you've been baptized, but you haven't joined the church. Maybe you've joined the church, but you're not doing anything. God's calling you on behalf of a nation that's going through a famine. The question is this morning, are we going to answer the call so that God could send the rain? Now let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We'll not belabor the thought anymore. God's calling must be our command. He wants to use us as instruments of his involvement. God wants to get involved.